The text for the sermon this day is taken from the gospel lesson, which was read to you earlier. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So the disciples are on a bit of a streak of saying bumbling things. So you go back a few chapters earlier, and you have Jesus preaching and teaching to 4,000 men, not including the women and children. And it comes, it gets a little late, and Jesus says, we need to feed these people. Now, under normal circumstances, you hear, hey, we need to feed 4,000 people. You're thinking, well, we're going to have to send them to the store. I don't have food for 4,000 people. Well, here's the deal. About one week earlier, the disciples were there with Jesus when Jesus was teaching 5,000 men, not including the women and children, and all they had was five loaves of bread and two fish, and Jesus fed them all. But yet, this time when there's less, so, for, so when there's 4,000, so just a reminder if anybody's mathematically challenged, 4,000 is less than 5,000, all right? So with 4,000 people, they say, Lord, this can't be done. How are we going to do it? That's like, uh, if Jesus ever did a, one of these, it probably would have been that moment, but he didn't. I don't, not that I know of. It might be in the hidden text that I don't know about. But anyways, then go forward a little bit, and Jesus gives his first prediction that he is going to be arrested and crucified. And what does Peter say? He says, says that Peter took Jesus aside and says, Never, Lord, this will never happen to you. To which Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Again, about a week later, they go up to the Mount of Transfiguration. And there they see Jesus transfigured before them. He is is whiter than any bleach could ever make them. And And there was Moses and there was Elijah. 
And then Peter says, Lord, it is good that we are here. Let us build three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, if you've read the King James Version of the Transfiguration, you might know that the word tent is translated as, anybody know what the word is? Tabernacle. See, if you're just talking about a tent, it just means, hey, the disciples are on a mountain, they want to camp out. I mean, how many of us wouldn't want to camp out on the mountain? So, the problem is they're asking for a tabernacle. The tabernacle is the dwelling place of God. So, in other words, when they wanted to build one for Moses and Elijah, they were making the request to worship Moses and Elijah as if they were God. Which is why, like, I don't... When you were a child, or maybe as a parent, do you ever remember making this threat or hearing this threat? Wait until your father gets home? Now, fathers may not like that they're the, they're the trump card, and sometimes mothers are scarier than the father, but anyways. Um, but, the, <clears throat> but you hear that. Well, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John got the Father, who said, this is my son, speaking of Jesus, listen to him. Then they come down from the mountain. The other nine disciples are down there. This was last week's gospel lesson. They were debating with the Pharisees, and it turns out that they were trying to cast out a spirit because at this point their pride and ego is starting to get high, and they're thinking, hey, we're the bee's knees, and everybody should be, we're kind of cool, so we don't need to pray to cast out evil spirits. We're just good on our own. And of course, it didn't work, and it embarrassed them. Next week, you're going to hear in the gospel lesson, you're going to hear yet another moment where they say, Lord, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, which ironically is what they should have been doing when we read last week's gospel lesson. But anyways, we saw someone doing it that we told them to stop. Which might be because you're making us look bad. You're doing it right, and we did it. Um, and then, yet again, you're going to have another situation where they try to, with, try to hold back a child. They are just on a really bad streak. And then this week, you have Jesus just told them, again, second time, that he is going to be crucified. What are they debating about? Which one of us is the greatest? See, the disciples are falling into the very temptation of the garden. The whole issue of the garden was not just about a fruit. Ultimately, it was about the desire to be, either be or be like God. That was the temptation to Adam and Eve. And that is still the greatest temptation to every single one of us. The desire to be God. I know if you were paying attention to it, but a couple weeks ago, Nike released a controversial commercial. And the reason the commercial was controversial is because of who was in it, Colin Kaepernick. Now, I'm not going to talk about whether or not he should take a knee during the national anthem. I'm not going to go into that issue. But I'm going to talk about the actual commercial itself. 
In the commercial, it talks about following your dreams, which, you know, that sounds fine and all. But where it eventually, then there's, then there's this one moment where I hear him pe- speaking, and he has the setup to give some really good advice to people. But he goes completely off the tracks. And he says, don't seek to be the best in your town. I'm like, oh, good setup, good setup. He says, seek to be the best in the world. Like, ah, oh, you failed. Because later, he, then later he again goes, he says, don't seek to be the next OBJ. So for you who are not football fans, it's Odell Beckham Jr. He's a wide receiver for the New York Giants. He said, seek to have OBJ wear your jersey. That is all about seeking to be the greatest. Which is honestly, that's what we tell our kids. We say, tell, we want them to be the best. That's what we're pushing them to do, to be the best at everything. And here's the reality, that is not good advice. In fact, it is the advice of the garden. It is, the reason why we are seeking them to be the best is because we are filling their ultimate desire to be God. Because if you're the best, at the very minimum, you're, the, you're a God amongst others. And, we, and parents, when they give this advice, they kind of like to live through their kids and say, see, my kid is awesome. And because they're awesome, so am I. See, my kid's on the honor roll. They like, we like to put those stickers on and everything. Which I know we, we should be proud of our kids, but there's a certain point where we're starting to live through our kids. And really, it's about us soothing our own ego, our desire to be God, the desire to be great. And yet, while the disciples are discussing this, while they're discussing who is the greatest, they're obviously oblivious to what Jesus just said. In fact, the text tells you they have no understanding of what Jesus said. Because if they did, they'd realize that the greatest is really right there in the midst of them. And they should have been watching him and see how he is. And one of the things is, he never discusses who's the greatest. He doesn't go and say, you know how awesome I am? You guys should be following me. He doesn't do that. In fact, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Salcedo preached on the, um, the healing of the blind man. And if you remember, did Jesus go around and say, look at what I did to heal this guy. I'm pretty awesome. No, in fact, he told the guy that he healed, keep quiet. Don't tell anybody. Now, nobody ever listens to him, but that's what he told them. Don't tell anybody. When Jesus went up to the Mount of Transfiguration, and what James, John, and Peter saw was a sight that I don't think any Hollywood producer could ever produce with the best of CGI. He told them, don't tell anybody until I've, until I've ascended. Jesus withheld the awesome things he did. And yet he is the greatest. Jesus is the ultimate model of what it means to be the greatest. He says right there, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. 
Going backwards, it says, if anyone be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Or as he said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. See, last night, I, when we had the kids here, we had, a few more, we had a decent number of kids last night, so I did a children's message. And so I used this analogy of sports, and I said, you know, you look at, Think about, if you were to ask your average person, who's the greatest NBA player ever? They're going to probably say, like, LeBron James or Michael Jordan. I go with Michael Jordan, just saying. But how many people would say John Stockton? If any of you know who John Stockton is, he's a career leader in assists. And if anybody watched him back in the 90s, he was pretty fun to watch. The way he would do those no-look passes to Carl Malone was pretty cool. Um, I don't know why Carl Malone was called the mailman, because John Stockton always did the mailing. But anyways, um, or in the NFL, if you were to ask who's the greatest NFL player of all time, people would probably say something like Joe Montana or Johnny Unitas or Barry Sanders, Jim Brown, somebody like that. How many people would say Shane Letchler? He's a punter for the Houston Texans, but regarded as the greatest punter in the history of the NFL. How many people would pick Orlando Pace, who without him, the Rams would have never won a Super Bowl? Or Larry Allen, without whom the Cowboys would not have won those Super Bowls with Emmett Smith and Troy Aikman? Those guys are offensive linemen. See, all of them, they don't put up the stats. They don't put up the numbers. Well, the left tackle now does make a lot of money after uh, Lawrence Taylor injured somebody, Joe Theismann, really badly. But up until then, linemen got paid almost very little compared to everyone else. Punters, nobody, punters or even kickers, nobody notices a kicker unless they're a Vikings kicker last week and missed three field goals. And so... But the thing is, if you have a bad punter, like if I start punting for an NFL team, you might as well just have your quarterback take a knee every time because it's going to go about as far. So without a, bad, without a decent punter, it's a lot harder on your defense. See, I have the, have the opinion that if Jesus were picking the greatest athletes, he'd pick an offensive lineman or a punter. Or a point guard who doesn't put up a lot of points, but he gives the ball out to a lot of different people. Why? Because they're all about serving the team. Christ is, lays the example of what greatness is. And I understand, going back to the Kaepernick commercial, now I'm not going to comment about the actual whether or not he should take a knee, but... Think about the way we, we have reacted. Many people have reacted to it. Could you imagine if we reacted to the fact that some, the posture of somebody during the national anthem, if we reacted the same way about that as we do to the posture of someone this morning when they should be in church? Which one are you getting more upset about? If you're getting more upset about the national anthem, guess which one's your God? The United States, we have a really, really bad job of treating it as if it's God. 
we get far more upset about things that happen with our country than we do with our church. I mean, people are burning Nikes while they're still on their feet, which is really stupid, but they're doing that. How many of us would ever, now granted you should never do this, it's really bad, but would any of you ever boycott someone if they were atheist? If they were agnostic? Jewish? Would you boycott someone who said that infant baptism is not beneficial? Would you boycott someone who says you need to do works to be saved? Those are far greater grievances than taking a knee during the national anthem. Because you're talking about your eternal salvation. Because you know what? We are to honor our soldiers. You know what's the very best way you could ever honor a soldier? Which, by the way, a soldier is a great example of service. Sacrificing their very lives for the freedom of others. But... Do you know what's the best way to serve them? Is not to show them how great they are, rather than show them their great savior. Because you know what? Your soldiers are fighting to preserve peace. He died to give it. See, when Jesus was, Jesus was on the heavenly thrones, worshiped and adored by angels, worshiped by hearing those songs, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is full of his glory. He had everything. And he gave it up to, be, to enter into the womb of a girl. Not a wealthy girl. A girl that was relative, in relative poverty. And that girl was from anywhere from 13 to 15 years old. So whenever you come to confirmation, the day of confirmation, you look at those kids coming up, that was about the age of Mary when she was pregnant with Jesus. And so, and so it wasn't a woman that was well into her life. And so and he, when he grew up, his disciples, they weren't people of nobility. They weren't royalty. They weren't like high-ranking government officials. They weren't Pharisees or Sadducees or high priests. They were fishermen and tax collectors. And yet, he was, and then he was abandoned, he was rejected, he was crucified, and he endured it all for you. This week, I don't know if Keith is working on a sermon report since he's the, sorry, yeah, you got single wide. Because <laughs> you're the one, well, anyway, we have two confirmands in here, so oh, any of them are working on a sermon report. The last question asks you about the hymn. Here, I'm giving you an answer. But anyways, uh, the hymn of the day, look at these words. It says, Lord of glory, you have bought us with your lifeblood as the price, never grudging for the lost ones that tremendous sacrifice. And with that have freely given blessings countless as the sand to the unthankful and the evil with your own unsparing hand. As a certain libero from our, our volleyball team tweeted, bad news is you are not the center of the world. The world does not revolve around you. 
We like to pretend it does. We try our best to be God, and in spite of how we are, in spite of how ungrateful we are to our Lord, He still, while we were still sinners, laid down His very body, became a lamb of sacrifice, and died for you, shedding His blood on the cross for you. By His blood you are redeemed. By His blood you have life. He came to serve and give everything for you. He is the greatest. That is greatness. And he gives it to you as a free gift. So as we are recipients of this gift, of this greatness, I encourage you, when you tell your kids when they're in sports, they're in music, they're in school, whatever, don't tell them to be the best in their town. Don't tell them to be the best on their team. Tell them to be the best themselves they could be. Did that make sense? In other words, don't try to be better than anyone else. Be the best that you can be. Or what's the military slogan? Be all that you could be, isn't it? Yeah, be all that you can be. Because God gave you gifts and talents and abilities. Not to squander to yourself. Not to serve your ego. Not to make yourself into a God. But to serve your neighbor. That's why you use the best of your abilities. It's to serve your neighbor. And yes, even sports, music is a service to your neighbor. Could you imagine the world that there's no music, no TV, no movies, no books, no sports? It would be ridiculously boring. So, life, and not to mention, we'd probably get a lot more stressed out than we already are. Could you imagine having to do with taxes and you have, no, have to do your taxes April 15th and there's nothing to entertain yourself later? You need, you need stress relief. That's why we need artists. That's why we need athletes, believe it or not. You use your talents to serve in many and various ways. So how can we serve? And remembering, we don't do it in order that God would be pleased with us. Rather, we do it because he has given everything to us. So, as it says here, give as I have given to you. Jesus says, in his name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting. Amen. We continue with the offering at this time. As it is sung, we, we will sing, a, we'll sing the hymn. Thank you. 